European Heart Journal issue at a glance. Volume 44, issue 35. Focus issue, Arrhythmias. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Focus on atrial fibrillation in specific clinical settings and on calmodulinopathy. This issue opens with the state-of-the-art review article. Merging virtual and physical experiences. Extended realities in cardiovascular medicine. By Song Ying Tsai and colleagues from the Taichung Veterans General Hospital in Taiwan. The authors note that technological advancement and the COVID-19 pandemic have brought virtual learning and working into our daily lives. Extended realities, or XR, an umbrella term for all the immersive technologies that merge virtual and physical experiences, will undoubtedly be an indispensable part of future clinical practice. The intuitive and three-dimensional nature of XR has great potential to benefit healthcare providers and empower patients and physicians. In the past decade, the implementation of XR into cardiovascular medicine has flourished, such that it is now integrated into medical training, patient education, pre-procedural planning, intra-procedural visualisation and post-procedural care. This review article discusses how XR could provide innovative care and complement traditional practice, as well as addressing its limitations and considering its future perspectives. The issue continues with a focus on arrhythmias. In a Viewpoint article entitled Cardiac Device Infection – Removing Barriers to Timely and Adequate Treatment Dan Attar and colleagues from the Oslo University Hospital Ullival in Oslo, Norway note that infection related to cardiac implantable electronic devices, or CIEDs, occurs in approximately 1-3% to of cases during the lifetime of the device. These include pocket infection, systemic infection, and infective endocarditis. And, although uncommon, they have a considerable impact, including hospitalization, one-year mortality rates as high as 25%, and increased healthcare costs. The incidence of CIED infection has been rising over the past 20 years, underscoring the need for both prophylactic measures and early diagnosis and management of suspected infections. Prevention of device infection should focus on the actionable risk factors outlined in the European Heart Rhythm Association, or EHRA, guidance summary. Higher risks of pocket CIED infections have been associated with CIED reoperations, young age, and a more complex type of CIED, whereas systemic infections have been associated with risk factors for bacteremia, such as severe renal insufficiency, erysipelas, dermatitis, and lupus erythematosus. The risk of CIED infection is not limited to the first year after device implantation. In fact, 30-70% to 70 of device infections occur beyond 12 months. An essential message for all physicians who may be exposed to patients with CIED infections is that early referral for complete system removal equates to lower morbidity and mortality. Moreover, cardiologists should ensure that all patients with CIEDs are aware of the potential risk for infection even over the long term, the signs and symptoms, and the fact that early treatment, including system removal, improves survival. 
Management of patients with atrial fibrillation, or AF, and concomitant heart failure, or HF, remains complex. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Left Ventricular Functional Recovery After Atrial Fibrillation Catheter Ablation in Heart Failure, a prediction model, Marco Bergonti and colleagues from the University Hospital Antwerp in Belgium explained that the Antwerp score based on four parameters QRS greater than 120 milliseconds, two points, known etiology, two points, paroxysmal AF, one point, and severe atrial dilation, one point, adequately estimated the probability of left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, recovery after AF ablation in a single-centre cohort. The study aimed to externally validate this prediction model in a large European multi-centre cohort. A total of 605 patients, mean age 62 years, 24% female, 80% with persistent AF, with HF and impaired LVEF, less than 50%, undergoing AF ablation in eight European centres, were retrospectively identified. According to the LVEF changes at 12-month echocardiography, 427, or 70% of patients, fulfilled the 2021 Universal Definition of HF criteria for LVEF recovery and were defined as responders. External validation of the score yielded good discrimination and calibration, area under the curve 0.86. Patients with a score less than 2 had a 93% probability of LVEF recovery, as opposed to only 24% in patients with a score greater than 3. Responders more often experienced positive ventricular remodeling, odds ratio or OR 8.91, P being less than 0.001, fewer HF hospitalizations, OR 0.09, P being less than 0.001, and lower mortality, OR 0.11, 95% confidence interval 0.04 to 0.31, P being less than 0.001 than non-responders. The authors conclude that in this multi-center study, a simple four-parameter score predicted LVEF recovery after AF ablation in patients with HF and discriminated clinical outcomes. These findings support the use of the Antwerp score to standardize shared decision-making regarding AF ablation referral in future clinical studies. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Sangha Mitra Mohanti, Andrea Natale, and Vincenzo Mirko Lafazia from the Texas Cardiac Arrhythmia Institute in Austin, Texas, USA. The authors conclude that although the Antwerp score, because of its simplicity, raises the hope for wide point-of-care use, its predictive accuracy has to be validated in future prospective studies with standardized ablation and follow-up strategies. While AF is frequent, its histological background remains poorly known. In a clinical research article entitled Histological Validation of Atrial Structural Remodeling in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation, Yuya Takahashi and colleagues from Masaga University in Japan aimed to histologically validate atrial structural remodeling associated with AF. 
patients undergoing AF ablation and endomyocardial atrial biopsy were included. N equaling 230, mean age 67, 69 women. Electroanatomical mapping was performed during right atrial pacing. Voltage at biopsy site, or V-biopsy, global left atrial voltage, or VGLA, and the proportion of points with fractionated electrograms defined as greater than or equal to 5 deflections in each electrogram, or percentage fractionated EGM, were evaluated. SCZ total was calculated as the total width of slow conduction zones, defined as regions with a conduction velocity less than 30 centimeters per second. Histological factors, potentially associated with electroanatomical characteristics, were evaluated using multiple linear regression analyses. Ultrastructural features and immune cell infiltration were evaluated by electron microscopy and immunohistochemical staining in 33 and 60 patients respectively. Fibrosis, intercellular space, myofibrillar loss, and myocardial nuclear density were significantly associated with V-biopsy and VGLA. The intercellular space was significantly associated with the percentage fractionated EGM. Fibrosis, intercellular space, and myofibrillar loss were significantly associated with SCZ total. Electron microscopy confirmed plasma components and immature collagen fibrils in the increased intercellular space and myofilament lysis in cardiomyocytes, depending on myofibrillar loss. Finally, the severity of myofibrillar loss was associated with an increase in macrophage infiltration. Takahashi et al. conclude that in AF, histological correlates of atrial electrical remodeling are fibrosis, increased intercellular space, myofibrillar loss, and decreased nuclear density. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Rika Kawakami, Renu Vimani, and Aloke Finn from the CV Path Institute in Gaithersburg, Maryland, USA. The authors highlight that Takahashi et al. have enhanced our understanding of AF with very detailed, meticulous work in many patients that were studied using electrophysiological and histological assessments. Prior to the current study, most of our understanding of AF came from small clinical studies with and without biopsy, or small autopsy studies without detailed electrophysiological studies. Takahashi et al. studied both electrical and structural alterations and correlated them. The data may help to better understand which patients may or may not benefit from AF ablation. There is a growing interest in channelopathies, CALM modulinopathy due to mutations in any of the three CALM genes, CALM1 to CALM3, causes life-threatening arrhythmia syndromes, especially in young individuals. In a clinical research article entitled Clinical Presentation of Calmodulin Mutations, the International Calmodulinopathy Registry, Leah Crotty and colleagues from the Center for Cardiac Arrhythmias of Genetic Origin a laboratory of cardiovascular genetics in Milan, Italy, point out that the International Calmodulinopathy Registry, or ICALM-R, aims to define and link the increasing complexity of the clinical presentations to the underlying molecular mechanisms. 
The ICALM-R has enrolled 140 subjects, median age 10.8 years, comprising 97 index cases and 43 family members. CALM-LQTS and CALM-CPVT are the prevalent phenotypes. Primary neurological manifestations, unrelated to post-anoxic sequelae, manifested in 20 patients. Calmodulinopathy remains associated with a higher rhythmic event rate, symptomatic patients N equaling 103 or 74%. However, compared with the original 2019 cohort, there was a reduced frequency and severity of all cardiac events, 61% versus 85%, P equaling 0.001, and sudden death, 9% versus 27%, P equaling 0.008. Data on therapy do not allow definitive recommendations. Cardiac structural abnormalities, either cardiomyopathy or congenital heart defects, were present in 30% of patients, mainly CALM-LQTS. The number of familial cases and of families with strikingly different phenotypes is increasing. Crotti et al. conclude that calmodulinopathy has pleiotropic presentations from channelopathy to syndromic forms. Clinical severity ranges from the early onset of life-threatening arrhythmias to the absence of symptoms, and the percentage of milder and familial forms is increasing. There are no hard data to guide therapy, and current management includes pharmacological and surgical antiadrenergic interventions with sodium channel blockers, often together with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Alon Barshashet and Ilan Goldenberg from the Rabin Medical Center in Israel. The authors conclude that registries such as ICALM-R can provide insight into mechanisms leading to sudden cardiac death, or SCD, through single cardiac ion channel models, and may therefore have important implications for SCD risk reduction in the general population beyond those affected by a specific genetic disorder. Previous evidence has mainly supported transient changes in cardiac function during interictal and periictal phases in people with epilepsy, but the long-term risk of cardiac arrhythmias is poorly described. In a clinical research article entitled Epilepsy and Long-Term Risk of Arrhythmias, Yao Lu and colleagues from the Central South University 3rd Shangya Hospital in China aim to assess the long-term association of epilepsy with cardiac arrhythmias, considering the potential role of genetic predisposition and anti-seizure medications. This population-based study evaluated UK biobank data for individuals recruited between 2006 and 2010. Cox proportional hazards models and competing risk models were used to examine the association of epilepsy history with the long-term incident risk of cardiac arrhythmias and arrhythmia subtypes. Polygenic risk scores were calculated to investigate the effect of genetic susceptibility. The role of anti-seizure medications was also evaluated by integrating observational and drug-target Mendelian randomization evidence. The study included 329,432 individuals, including 2,699 people with epilepsy. Compared with those without epilepsy, 
people with epilepsy experienced a significantly increased risk of all cardiac arrhythmias, hazard ratio or HR 1.36, atrial fibrillation, HR 1.266, and other cardiac arrhythmias, HR 1.56. The associations were not modified by genetic predisposition as indicated by polygenic risk scores. Competing and sensitivity analyses corroborated these results. Individuals with epilepsy using anti-seizure medications, especially carbamazepine and valproic acid, were at higher risk for cardiac arrhythmias. The authors conclude that higher risk of cardiac arrhythmias persists long-term in people with epilepsy, especially among those using carbamazepine and valproic acid. These findings highlight the necessity for regular heart rhythm monitoring and management in people with epilepsy to reduce the risk of further cardiovascular complications. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Richard Leonard Verrier, Stephen Schechter and Trudy Pang from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center Cardiovascular Institute in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. These authors conclude that besides stimulating interest in this field and prompting further research, the authors of this clinical research article appropriately underscore the need for careful heart rhythm monitoring and management of individuals with epilepsy to mitigate the risk for cardiovascular complications. The issue is also complemented by a discussion forum contribution entitled Waste-to-height ratio for the obesity paradox in heart failure. Is it a matter of fitness? In it, Jen Min Lin and colleagues from the Hualien Armed Forces General Hospital in Taiwan comment on the recent publication Anthropometric measures and adverse outcomes in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Revisiting the obesity paradox. By Jawad Butt from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.